Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. The NFL Draft is in the books. The Ravens have 11 future Hall of Famers drafted that we need to talk about this week on Pod Like a Raven. Yeah, so some things happened this past week. The Ravens drafted... 11 players. I think I, uh, I think I calculated that correctly. Looking here, yeah, 11 new dudes who are going to fill all the needs for this team. Take them over the top. Take them to the Super Bowl. But most importantly, we had some fears of this team maybe being passive in this draft, maybe trading back. That was a joke that we made a lot that we were never going to see them draft a player at 14. That they may not draft anybody in the first round. But instead, many a thing happened directly from the Ravens. I'm Antonio Barbero, joined by my co-hosts here to break down the NFL draft in terms of NFL and in terms of the Ravens, and boy, are there some things to discuss, so let me bring on my co-hosts, starting on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, I guess for you, this draft was much earlier in the evening than it was for us East Coasters, where there's still significant things happening at 12 o'clock. How was the the draft for you on the West Coast? Uh, it was good, Antonio. Uh, this was the first um, year I've actually had to work the draft since 2018. Uh, I'd managed to finagle my way off the previous three years <laughs> for draft week. So this was the first time I had to actually kind of to lock in. But I found it all very exciting. I was really excited uh, heading into the draft. And I think I'm really excited, you know, coming out of the draft. I think the first round was really fun, even if we didn't have... You know, a ton of, like, marquee quarterbacks, basically. That's what always kind of makes the draft a lot of fun. I think that's what made last year's interesting, certainly, was where were those guys going to go. We didn't have that, but I still thought it was a really fun first round, and I'm really excited about the Ravens. I think this is as high on the Ravens as I've been coming out of a draft since that 2018 draft. And... Uh, certainly in the pod like a Raven era, and I'm excited for that. I'm. Uh, we said they needed a big draft, 
and I think they had a big draft. It was definitely interesting. We'll get to some of the things they did and didn't do. Um, but yeah, on the whole, I, I, I'm really excited after uh, this past weekend. And joining on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, how'd you enjoy this year's NFL draft? I mean, uh, we talked about it last week. I had a great time. And part of it was because there was no consensus top picks. There was no quarterbacks that, you know, had... We're definitely going to go one, two, three. I mean, our mock draft, frankly, was horrible uh, compared to what actually happened in round one after taking a quick look at it, uh, especially after we did pretty well last year. But I don't think that's you know necessarily a, a, a negative against us. It just shows the unpredictability of this draft, which for me made it all the more interesting. And then the fact that, look, draft grades and instant reactions probably don't matter. Um, but to support a team, to root for a team, to love uncontrollably a team that everybody has glowing praise for, not one person has criticized their moves, and maybe maybe a couple things uh, that we'll get to, is, as Jace alluded to, it's amazing. Um, I listened to a particular podcast from The Ringer that has uh, fans of different teams on it, and the two comparisons to the Ravens draft class that I loved were a Call of Duty gun that needs to be nerfed because it's OP, <laughs> And the Jesse Pinkman meme uh, with Eric DaCosta. He can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> EDC ruled again. And I just, I can't wait to talk about it, man. I, I, the reason I love the draft is because the Ravens are so damn good at it every single year. Yeah, when you talk about uh, our mock draft, th- things went poorly, so poorly that uh, <laughs> I was half paying attention to what we had mocked and watching the draft. And I texted the group at pick like five or six. I was like, oh, we got one, finally. We had not gotten one. I, I just misunderstood what pick it was or <laughs> forgot who we had mocked at five or something. So, yeah, we struggled. But so did everybody else because while maybe the betting favorite, Trayvon Walker, did end up going one and then Hutchinson fell perfectly at two to the, to the Lions, uh, after that there were some surprises. There were some unique names that were seemingly oh, a team has gotten a player at that position. Now everybody has to do that. That seemed to happen a couple of different times in this draft. <laughs> uh, so before we get specifically into the Ravens picks, I'm just, I mean, you've, you've talked about it a little bit already, but what were your overall just takeaways from this first round, from this draft as a whole? I, I, mean, I think one of the first talking points was five player defensive players were taken in the top five picks. That was a talking point. Um, then it was like the wide receiver run. That was another talking point in the middle of the round. There were 800 trades in the the first round alone. That's not an actual figure. Please don't quote me on that. Uh, And then the quarterbacks, that was another angle here where um, the first quarterback, Kenny Pickett, went at 20 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which we will talk about a bit later. And then there were no other quarterbacks for quite a long time. So what were your sort of your main takeaways from this draft or, or the thing that got got your attention as a uh, as round one and then the rest of the weekend unfolded for me it's the quarterback uh thing you touched on antonio uh because we're so used and i think we talked about i know i brought it up that i wouldn't have been surprised if four quarterbacks went in the first round uh, quarterbacks just always go in the nfl draft no matter how uh good or bad you think the class is, but the NFL uh, kind of let us know that they thought this class was historically bad. <laughs> uh, just the uh, picket to be 20 was already like the latest we'd seen a quarterback taken in quite a long time. And, and then 
the second quarterback not going till the third round. We hadn't seen anything like that since like the fifties or something. It was, it's been an absurdly long time since we've seen quarterbacks fall like that. So for me, that was kind of the, the real telling thing. And I think it's what ended up shaking up the whole rest of the first round is there wasn't the run on quarterbacks. There was the run on receivers, like you mentioned. And, um, and then, yeah, all those trades, like the first 10 picks, there were no trades, right? And it seemed pretty chalk to, uh, you know, depending on your thoughts on Walker and Hutchinson. But I didn't, I wasn't too surprised by pretty much any pick in the top 10. And then the Saints traded up for Chris Olave and everything just like exploded out of control. And I was like, I don't know whose pick is what anymore. I was de- handling uh, pick updates for work. And I was like, I can't even attempt to explain how this team ended up with the pick. I'm just going to say that they have the pick now. So it, it was, it was, it, that bit, I think led to a lot of fun. And I think it's all related to the quarterbacks uh, situation. So that's for me, I think the, the big takeaway. And I think spinning it forward, not to jump way too far ahead. I think it puts a lot of pressure on the 2023 QB class, specifically the two guys at the top, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. We might be, see some epic tank battles uh in the 2022 season uh for teams trying to get one of those two guys i yeah i mean the, it's it's hard to not just you know pile on with the quarterback thing but good on the nfl for not reaching and good on teams not maybe not the pittsburgh steelers but you know not to just <laughs> throw shade at them but i think everybody was shocked that nfl teams were good at this and not desperate <laughs> To take quarterbacks and taking a Malik Willis in the third round compared to taking him, uh, you know, at 18 where the Titans were in the first round changes the narrative around him so much. Uh, Desmond Ritter as well, who, by the way, if you saw him get drafted, looks like one of the most intense human beings on the entire <laughs> planet. Uh, didn't even celebrate. Um, and speaking of that, here's my weird takeaway. Not as the celebrations were kind of muted this year. Was it just me? Maybe I'm just looking for this, but. It was in I, Vegas, kind of, so they'd all gone out the night before, <laughs> and they were yeah, still kind of recovering. Long night in Vegas. Right. It could have been that, where they're walking out and kind of doing their own thing. I think Devin Lloyd was the one who picked Goodell up, and that who usually happens like 12 times. Kevin Thibodeau just went out there to embarrass Roger Goodell with the crazy handshake, so that was cool. But, like, Trayvon Walker. Like, I was watching with a buddy of mine, and he gets picked first. And there, his, him and his family, and there's, like, a lot of people there. A lot of people, a lot of people that are just like, oh, my son or nephew, cousin, brother, whoever it is, is now a millionaire, and they're golf clapping. It was so <laughs> weird, and that that part to me, it was nice seeing on Friday. Uh, I, w- I was out, but I was kind of because I'm addicted to this watching on my phone, and to see David Ajabo get picked and like him lose his mind and like the whole family celebrate. Even I mean, not to you know, not to compliment the Steelers in any way, shape, or form, but like Kenny Pickett. And that whole emotional moment, like, you love the emotion of this for me. It's part of the reason I like it, um, you know, being an um, uh, emotionally unstable person for most of the time, especially when it comes to football. I thought it was, uh, it, w- it, was it was a bit muted. Now, that's a bit off the beaten topic or off the beaten path and not really what this draft means. But I just thought it was weird. I thought it was kind of odd. Let's dive into the Ravens selections here because you guys have both teased out something that was as a Raven fan, very important in this, the start of this draft, and it was the quarterbacks, it was the wide receivers, and if you were a Raven fan, you were basically hoping that in those top 13 picks, we would see a couple of quarterbacks, maybe two, if we were, you know, if we were really, really lucky, 
Uh, we were hoping a couple of wide receivers would go in the top 10 and just push back <laughs> studs to 14, basically. May, would it push Thibodeau to 8, 9, 10, where the Ravens would then trade out? That was one of the hopes. And then the first five players were defensive. Uh, they were no, None of them were quarterbacks in the top 10. However, we did start to see the wide receivers. Drake London ends up being the first one taken at 8. Uh, we have a tackle at 9, and then it's wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver at 10, 11, and 12. And boy, what did happen? That pushed down a different player that I don't think... I don't think any of us had really been considering to land in Baltimore, and it ends up being Kyle Hamilton taken at 14 after the Eagles move up to 13 and take Jordan Davis. So open up the debate for my co-hosts here. Number one, we can talk about how thrilled we are with getting Kyle Hamilton. He was bar none the top safety in this class. He's big. He's strong, he can cover, he can tackle, he's got so many positive traits. He absolutely fell to the Ravens at 14 after that uh, wide receiver sprint. But I want to hear your thoughts on Hamilton, and I also want to hear your thoughts on did the Eagles jump just in front of the Ravens to take Jordan Davis? And my final question, I'm going to load all these questions up and you guys can go where you want. If the Eagles do not take Jordan Davis at 13, do you think it's still Hamilton for the Ravens at 14, or do you think Jordan Davis would have been uh, would have been their guy? I mean, as much as I love Eric DaCosta, I do not believe him when he says that Kyle Hamilton was still the guy there at 14, uh, even though the Eagles, to, to answer your other question, yes, they absolutely just... The only reason you move up two spots in front of a specific team is you're picking a player in front of said specific team. Or unless you think they're trading out and somebody else is going to get there. But they knew that the Ravens wanted Jordan Davis. He had been linked to him many, many times. Jordan Davis even told uh, a Philadelphia outlet that he thought he was going to be a Raven before the Eagles traded up. That's okay, though. He's going to be a bust. Uh, he, he's, too, he's too big. He's only a two-down player. We've been saying it the entire draft process. He, you know, pass rushing, pass rushing potential – but, you know, he's never really going to live up to it. What what kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, obviously facetious. I was um, infuriated when I saw the Eagles trade up and went, oh, yeah, that's that's for Jordan Davis. Like, you immediately knew the pick was made, screamed the F-bombs in, into the cocktails. And, uh, and I was pretty upset. And I kind of I didn't want to be on Twitter a lot during the game. Now, I know Jace was working, so it's a bit different for him. But as as a pure fan of the draft event uh, on Thursday night, I didn't really want to be on Twitter a lot because people tip picks and people are are frankly jerks. Uh, you know, this is a family show, but I could be a, a lot more colorful about that. And I just I couldn't. It didn't occur to me that Kyle Hamilton was still there, and I immediately went. And again, I was trying to like comfort my own self because every time you buy into only one player on draft night, you end up getting your heart ripped out, which is what happened. But then I thought to myself, wait a minute, the guy who it might be the best football player in this draft was supposed to go to Washington at 11. They traded out. He's just sitting there and we could pair him with our other free safety that we just signed. Plus use Chucky Clark, the leader of the defense in a utility role. The importance of safeties is getting way, way better. The Ravens are ahead of the curve on all this stuff. And I want to throw it to Jace because he's obviously watched more Kyle Hamilton in college. But maybe it was me just trying to get over my grief and and just completely convince myself the other way. But about 
five minutes after the Hamilton pick, I, I legitimately was like, I'm, I'm ecstatic. Like this is, I, I'm imagining the defensive secondary now, if they all stay healthy uh, and how that is going to work um, uh, and all the different combinations that Mike McDonald can use because Jace, it seems like to me, this guy, Kyle Hamilton, you know, they're not Jason Lock and Fora reported on Monday and you know, he's gotten a lot of stuff wrong in the past uh, that they're looking to trade Chuck Clark. I don't necessarily see that as a leader of the defense. So I'm thinking, a defensive secondary that includes Marlon Humphrey, that includes Marcus Peters, that includes Marcus Williams, that includes Chuck Clark, that includes a guy like Brandon Stevens coming into his second year, and now the best football player in the draft in Kyle Hamilton. I mean, it's pretty exciting stuff. Very exciting. I, I'm with you. I was gutted when the Eagles took De- Jordan Just Davis. devastated. Like, uh, absolutely like, And especially devastated. the way, as Antonio laid out so well, just the, the, the start of the draft – you were like all these guys who were like, maybe Stingley will fall. And then he's the third overall pick. And you're like, Thibodeau. And then he goes five and you're like, shoot, <laughs> you're running out of these guys. I really, really wanted. And so it was getting fewer. I was like, kind of crossing. I was like, I was like, oh man, they should take Hamilton. Like, and I like, I got like really excited. I was like, oh, but they're not going to do it. And then they did it. I like lost my mind. It was like such a great pick. I think for, for all the reasons you said to him and, and, I think it's exciting for both, you know, present and future. Um, You know, we've complained about the Ravens not having playmakers on the back end for several years now. And I think between drafting him and Marcus Williams, I think you completely kind of remake that, that part of the game. And I think they should play really well together. When I was like, initially they made the pick, I was like, Oh, they just signed Marcus Williams, but, you know, you read more about them and you think about, like, uh, how they fit together. I think they have the potential to fit really well together. You know, the things Marcus Williams likes to do is play way deep and, like, kind of a ball hawk free safety role. The things Hamilton does well is his, like, you know, his versatility. He can play everywhere. He's got huge size. And he loves to tackle, which Marcus Williams is not as much. And so it seems like they just complement each other so, so perfectly. And, and, and it's just very exciting um, to, to just get a player that talented. You know, I've, you saw mock drafts where some people thought maybe he could go as high as number two to like the Lions. And so to have him just kind of fall right into your lap without having to, to move at all, I, I think is exciting. And I, I think it, it sets the Ravens up well for the future. And I like that, you know, they didn't overthink it, right? Like, is safety their biggest need? No. They had Chuck Clark. They just signed Marcus Williams. But I think they thought this guy has the potential to be special. I think, like you said, with Mike McDonald, he can move him around. And I expect them to do some interesting stuff. You know, uh, we'll see. We made some interesting picks. I still think pass rush is going to be a problem. But perhaps this is where, you know, you blitz a Kyle Hamilton a great deal this upcoming season. I I expect them to... to be able to utilize him uh, pretty well. And so I'm excited about that. And yeah, just to get a player of his caliber, I was over the moon once they made the pick. Yeah, he's got a little bit of that center field potential, but that he doesn't have to do that with the Ravens because that's why you have Marcus Williams to do that stuff. And it's BPA. It's best player available. And, and look, yeah, this is the the show after the Ravens draft. We are <laughs> going to be way too high on all of these guys. Take it with a grain of salt, what have you. Um, and we'll talk about some of the things that they did and positions they did not address in this draft, one of them being wide receiver, which we'll obviously get into later. Uh, but for me, one of the ones that they didn't, addre- uh, didn't address 
is inside linebacker. It's something that we've talked about. You know, Patrick Queen is there. Josh Bynes is back for the 800th year. Malik Harrison could be there, but they might want to use him more as an outside linebacker, they've said. What this for me does is remember that first game, uh, that first playoff game for Lamar Jackson with the Sandia, I guess, were they LA at the time? Doesn't matter. The Chargers. And they put a bunch of defensive backs on the field and limited the amount of linebackers because they wanted quicker guys out there to contain Lamar Jackson and contain some of the athletes on the outside for the Ravens and, and, and the running back position as well. The Ravens can do this now. And, and by picking a guy like this, it also helps your, at the moment, lack of linebacker depth because there's a lot of times where you're probably going to be running in dime packages, which, if you don't know, is one linebacker and a whole bunch of defensive backs. So pass rushers, one linebacker, whole bunch of D-backs. They're going to be doing that a lot with, with the versatility now that they have. And Hamilton, Chuck Clark and Hamilton can kind of interchange in different positions too. I think Marcus Williams seems more that center field guy. But maybe if you want to switch it up, maybe you put him up on the line. Or maybe you take him out for a play, you bring Chuck Clark up on the line. He is kind of your in-the-box Tyron Matthew safety while... Uh, Kyle Hamilton drifts back and plays center field. You can disguise so many things now with an athlete this versatile. Um, and I'm with a guy like that, you do kind of worry about do, do the Ravens know how, or does a team, excuse me, know how to use a guy that versatile who might be a bit positionless. One, he's not. He's a safety. He's not like an Isaiah Simmons for a few years ago. And two, I have full faith in the Ravens to figure out a defensive player like that. Uh, can we just can we just play football now? Like who needs the freaking summertime? I don't need summertime. It's too hot. Let's get into just, just get some nice pumpkin beers, some leaves falling off the trees, and some football every Sunday. Oh god. I started to watch today uh, the extended highlight clips of just random regular season victories from last season. Today I watched the Chiefs game that the 13 minute clip. I watched the Got to. Uh, the Colts game. Now that that was some some views today because you were absolutely right. Seeing all these new awesome dudes, I want to see them in Raven uniforms. I don't want to see them playing. If he can just tackle Hamilton, then this is an unbelievable upgrade for this defense. If he can just sit somewhere in the middle of the field and tackle big running backs and tight ends, then that's already such a need for this team that he will fill. And I'm excited to see it. Everything else is sort of. Gravy, if he can cover a little bit, if he can blitz, uh, if he can play multiple roles, whatever, if he can turn the ball over, all that stuff is going to come after. But it just seems like a stud player for this Ravens team. And they picked him at 14, and we were thrilled that they stayed at 14 and picked a guy who was good enough for that position and didn't trade back. And this was when it was like, all right, now we can maybe kind of relax a little bit. But we could not relax because many other things happened sort of all at once. And it is interesting because we talked about this, I don't know if it was our last episode or, or a few episodes ago, where we had the Diva wide receiver com- uh, conversation. And it was all from the 2019 class of wide receivers who had, let's say, outperformed their rookie contracts and were looking for big deals and were not interested. And that was Debo Samuel. Um, that was A.J. Brown, it was Terry McLaurin, and then we kind of talked about where Hollywood fell in that conversation and what would happen with the Ravens for that, and a lot of these uh, Tetris pieces kind of came, fell right into place during the draft because A.J. Brown was traded uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles. They ended up signing him to a four-year, $100 million contract, and then immediately after that, uh, I should say the contract was signed later. I don't, I don't think that was happening during the draft, but he was at least traded. And then seemingly minutes after that, 
the Ravens had traded and gotten another first-round pick, uh, but had traded away Marquise Hollywood Brown to the Arizona Cardinals, and the Ravens were back on, not on the clock, but close to being back on the clock, drafting at 23rd, which would eventually become 25, and they would then draft the number one center in this class, Tyler Linderbaum. But before we get to Linderbaum, guys, what happened? What happened with all these moves? The Ravens, what are we doing here? The new philosophy, get good players in the first round. Uh, and then what is the legacy now of Marquise Hollywood Brown? I'm using the full name as if I'm giving him a eulogy because he's no longer a Raven, was never going to be a Raven for the long time, long term. So what is the legacy now of Brown uh, with the Ravens? What were your thoughts on this trait uh, as it was happening in the middle of the first round? Um, his legacy is Lamar's best friend. And I think that's, <laughs> you know, the extent of it when you, when you get to the Ravens and what it is career. And, it, you know, obviously that's a bit harsh, uh, deep play threat. The first pick for Eric DaCosta, which Eric DaCosta said that it was very tough for that, uh, for him to make this deal. Seeing had, he kind of had that attachment to Hollywood, uh, being, you know, they kind of came in together, quote unquote, if you want to put it that way. Um, we should note and this comes from Jeff Zareback on the night. Uh, DaCosta said he and the Cardinals agreed to the trade with Brown earlier in the week, but they wanted to keep it under wraps just in case something fell in a particular way and they didn't want to make the deal anymore. Uh, it was tough for him to make the move because it was his first draft pick. DaCosta said he and Harbaugh spoke to Lamar Jackson before the trade of Brown was made. Um, so there's a lot of stuff here, and I'm just going to lay out my thoughts on the trade before we get to before we get to the Tyler Linderbaum pick. Not that we need to like keep that people know at this point what they're listening. Um, first of all, the value is insane. Uh, the fact that they got Hollywood Brown plus the hundredth pick for 23, but then remember they turned 23 into 25 and 130. So essentially Marquise Brown for 130 and 25. And the Eagles had to give up 18 and 101 for AJ Brown. <laughs> Those should not be that similar. A.J. Brown is a much better football player than Hollywood Brown. Um, I think Antonio made the great point. First of all, you were the first person I thought of, too, by the way, when this trade happened, because I know you just love your receivers so much. Um, he was never staying. He was always going to demand money that the Ravens simply weren't going to be able to pay him. And what the Ravens do what the Ravens do. They get rid of a guy too early before too late, um, especially when they can get value which, God willing, is the starting center for the next decade. Let's hope. I think, you know, not to not to do completely purple-tinted glasses, I think this actually does really hurt the Ravens. Um, I, don't, I don't think Hollywood was, as some people think, this, you know, must-have player on this offense. But he did stretch the field in a way that we haven't really seen a guy do. I think Devin DuVarnay needs to step up and prove he can do something. I think a guy like Tylen Wallace who was highly regarded when they got him as a value pick last year, needs to step up and show that he can maybe not be a deep threat, but also contribute to this offense in a way. But it takes away that element of an offense that needs to be replaced because you can't not stretch the field um, and not have that home run threat because it limits other things you could do on the offense. Yeah, I, I was, I'll, I'll say, conflict. it was a whirlwind of emotion, uh, I will say, on draft night because I guess probably due to some of the things I was having to do for work by like the time I feel like I reacted 
uh, to the Ravens drafting Kyle Hamilton on Twitter. I posted a gif of Marcus Peters spinning in circles because I was so excited. Uh, I basically, I posted that gif, refreshed my feed, and the top of the feed was Ian Rappaport saying the Ravens were trading Hollywood Brown. And I was like, what is happening? Oh, Jace, no, it happened that quick. It wasn't just you working. It, it like, happened immediately, it felt like. It, it, it was just, yeah, it, it was... <laughs> it was just back and forth and you're like you're you're so happy for this draft pick and then they're like what's going on and especially on draft night uh i think we had in in the immediacy of the moment and that's why i'm glad actually we take some time and uh you know uh do the show uh a few days after so we could process in the immediacy of the moment and with lamar jackson tweets i was like what is happening this is this is insane. Uh, do I like this? Is this good? Um, but then you find out more. Hollywood has apparently asked out multiple times. Yeah. Um, I believe after last season, right? And then sometime during, uh, or after the 2020 season, and then sometime during the 2021 season. So this has been building for a while. Um, and it sounds like he had frustrations with uh, the offense, which Sam Join the uh, club, yeah. <laughs> and so, but I think you nailed it, Tim. I think not only, it's not even just a money available thing, I think. I think it just solves the entire contract problem for right. the Ravens. Like, it's, A, first, once you find out it's a guy who literally asked to be traded multiple times and didn't want to be there, it's like, okay, that's fine moving him. And then, uh, like, in in the immediacy, I was thinking, like, I was like, well, this, now they don't have to figure out the Hollywood Brown contract. Because it was going to be weird. Because that, and I think this gets to his legacy for me, it's complicated. I think he is both, clearly, at to this point, the most successful of the Ravens' first round wide receiver draft picks. Not a high bar. But he was fine. He wasn't great. <laughs> but he was good. He had some great games. Um... But he never just quite put it all together here. And I don't know with the offense, um, with Lamar, I don't know if it was ever going to get fully put together for him. I fully expect him to have 1,200 yards for the Cardinals this year, especially in the wake of what uh, we learned uh, today. As we record, will be a six-game suspension for DeAndre Hopkins. Um, so op- Hollywood's going to get opportunities, and it's going to make Ravens Twitter even more insane uh the normal but for what he brought to the ravens i'm i am personally you know i'm fine i'm not going to be upset when i watch like i'm not going to miss him running out of bounds three yards short on a third and eight i'm not going to miss him falling down uh rather than get five extra yards dropping touchdowns against the lions yeah 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 the drops drops in critical moments after complaining about not getting the ball i'm not gonna miss these things Uh, these are things that i am not gonna be upset about so you know it's complicated i liked hollywood i wanted him to succeed in some ways he did like i mentioned for raven's first round picks but on the whole i think they got a fantastic deal (laughs) to move him yeah uh you know, it ended up being uh, they actually got a higher draft pick back than they tra- that they traded for a higher draft pick than they picked him. He was the 25th overall pick, and they got the 23rd from the Cardinals just a few uh, years ago. So, um, yeah, I-, I think it was a good move. I know Lamar, who's probably it's hard to read the tea leaves with that guy. That's uh, a whole other. Well, so I don't, I, I don't want to cut you off, but this is what yeah. I want to get to real quick because I know <laughs> we need to talk about the rest of the class. My biggest issue with this entire thing was how Lamar Jackson handled it. Um, And 
I hate saying that. And maybe, you know, I did preface this a couple minutes ago saying this is going to be completely purple tinted and maybe this part isn't. But we laid out all the facts for you. Hollywood Brown asked for a trade for a long time. Uh, a couple times, he they agreed to a trade. Credit to him primarily and also credit to the, the staff for keeping it quiet, not doing the whole diva thing. He even said in an interview, he said, you know, it's not, it's definitely not about Lamar. I just didn't feel like I was getting my chances in the offense. I mean, I think some of that is BS. Some of it is valid because we all have our issues with Greg Roman, but massive credit to him for how he handled it. He even said, like, we didn't want to make this a big thing. Like, you know, I love the organization. I just wanted a new opportunity somewhere where I thought I could be more well utilized. Fine. Great. That's good. You want to go play with your old teammate again. The Zarebeck tweet that I referenced a couple minutes ago, Lamar was told about this trade. This, he knew what was going to happen. So the pick 25 comes up, and that's after, then he retweets the account that's, bro, we effing traded Hollywood, what the F is going on, whatever it was. And then after picking Linderbaum, the man who we're going to get to in a second, I promise, because it's offensive line, who is going to protect this guy for years to come, hopefully, that's when he tweets the WTF. So he doesn't tweet the WTF, and this is reading the tea leaves, Jason, again, like you mentioned, very hard to, I'm, I'm assuming a lot here, but what I read was, it wasn't about trading Hollywood, because you already knew about that. And if it was about that, then you're just acting, let's call it what it is, petulant online, which maybe that's just what we have to deal with nowadays as the old man yells at the cloud. But <laughs> if it's not that, then he's yelling about the Ravens selecting a guy that they're picking to protect him and better utilize his skill set. And a guy who we'll get into in a second in theory, is going to have to change Greg Roman's system a little bit in the way that he, he the way that he excels as a run blocker and a pass blocker. So there are some changes coming to get to be in the moment and and be tweeting and stuff. It's just maybe that's just what it is now, and maybe it's the the this leagueification of the NFL. But everybody blowing up, and then it's just you know because the contract hasn't been signed yet. It's just so much. Oh my God, he's mad at the organization. He's going to leave. You can't let him leave. If he leaves, I'm never going to be a fan again. Just all this toxic, BS, vile hatred that doesn't mean anything because he had to tweet three letters that he could have just kept to himself. That's (laughs) the part out of anything that drove me the most insane. I am going to, I agree. I didn't like it. (laughs) I I tweet once every two weeks. I'm not good at it. I, I don't like it. It's not my strength. However, in, in analyzing tweets, uh, I have, am choosing to read this as not, like, disrespecting the guy who's going to hand him the ball hundreds of times a year now, or pretending like he didn't know about the Hollywood trade already. I kind of think he was just doing a, like, I want to make it look like I'm losing, like, my guy, and that was his guy. They were, like, best friends on this team for a long time. Uh, They had the, like, Southern Florida connection, and I think it was just this, like, because if he did know about the trade, which is all reports are saying that, I think he was just treating it as, like, a 24-year-old of, like, this will sort of make it seem like I want to keep like our dudes. I want to keep my friends. I want to play with the guys that I like playing with. And I'm upset that he's like leaving. Uh, and that's it. And that's how I'm going to take it. And I'm not going to read into any more of it because everything else is 
does sort of scream a little bit of immaturity. Uh, and I maybe he didn't think it would come out that he knew about the trade for <laughs> weeks beforehand. So just, yeah, social media, man. Who needs it? Well, uh, <laughs> please follow Pod Like a Raven on Twitter and on Instagram. <laughs> and Instagram. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, go ahead, Jace. I, I just, I kind of did get almost more mad when I found out he knew about the trade. Because it was oh, like... Oh, 100%. Yeah, it was like, yeah, you're like, come on, man. <laughs> What's all, it's all down, it's all performative, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, and, and, yeah, like, I was concerned in the moment when I was like, oh, now he's going to be all mad, they traded Hollywood. But to, to find out, not only did Hollywood request the trade, but, yeah, that Lamar knew about it. You're just like, come on, man, you're supposed to be, like, the leader of the team. And it's just not a good look. And But I'm kind of, I feel what Tim says, too, where it might just be what it is. It might, this might... You know, Kyler Murray and AJ Brown, they're also, you scrub, you scrub the photos and uh, off the Instagram and then you say it's, it's just what 24 year olds do. And you say, is that true? I don't know. I'm not 24 anymore. So <laughs> I've never deleted all my Instagram pictures of, you know, Slurpees or whatever. But, I was going to uh... say the Slurpee Chronicles never die. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was, that was some unnecessary drama in our life. But on the whole, I will say. I love what the Ravens turned that pick into. Uh, if we want to jump into Linderbaum, I was very excited. I mean, we talked about this guy in the, I feel like for months, in the lead up to the draft as, as someone we'd love the, the Ravens to target. And so to get him, I, I was just really excited. And I know he's different than a lot of, they love huge centers uh, historically, and he's not. But by all accounts, this guy was certainly the top center in the draft, unquestioned. He's the Remington Award winner to the nation's top center. Ton of starts at Iowa. Vouched for by Marshall Yonda. Super athletic. He's not the tallest, but, you know, there's videos of him pinning Tristan Wirfs, uh, the uh, uh, Buccaneers right tackle during their high school wrestling days. Uh, I saw a video, I believe Jonas Schaefer posted it, of... uh, uh, Linderbaum beating uh, uh, Worf's hay bale toss, toss at the quote Solon Beef Days. Gotta love Iowa. Oh. <laughs> uh, so he's just he's super athletic, and you know, I think like as far as can't miss you know centers go, I think he he's certainly up there. And I think that's why the Ravens drafted him. They've pretty much only been using like six round picks on centers for years, but they. The fact that they used the pick that they ultimately got for this Hollywood trade on him, I think speaks a lot and certainly to how highly they view him. And yeah, center has a pretty high hit rate in the draft. A lot of first round centers end up getting, I think Greenberg said it's something, it's like over 80% get a second contract uh, first round centers. It's like amongst the highest hit rates of any position drafted in the first round. Uh, So yeah, I think Tim said, you hope this guy is your center for the next 10 years and we came into the this offseason needing to improve the offensive line, and I think Tyler Linderbaum goes a long way towards doing that. He should be, if all goes well and he's injury-free, the center for, you know, hopefully the next 10 years. And I think that's really exciting uh, given what he can do. Yeah, think about what it does, too. So Patrick McCarry, who was kind of your swing tackle, performed well at right tackle last year in a pinch was going to be the starting center. Or if they liked Cologne Castillo, the guy who they are pretty high on, but, you know, another... Who the hell's that guy guy? Um, This locks in that center position. Harbaugh said he's starting. Like, you know, that's that's your dude right there. 
And now you can kick Makari to left guard where you've had some issues with Ben Cleveland and Tyree Phillips. If you like where they're at, maybe you keep Makari as your swing tackle to to start in place of a Morgan Moses or start, uh, you know, kick Morgan Moses over to the left side. If Ronnie Stanley isn't quite yet uh, ready to play early in the season, Makari can play right tackle. He it, it brings flexibility and depth to an offensive line by locking down one position. And now you have him and Kevin Zeitler in the middle there. Now, here are the concerns. Remember, we talked to James Ogden before the draft. Highly recommend you still, if you want more draft stuff, go listen to him and just see where he projects these guys. And then we can you know, kind of figure out where they went based on the particular things. He did not, he was not very high on Linderbaum uh, going to the Ravens, but going to the Ravens at 14. I, w- I would venture to say if we ask James now going to 25, it's a bit different. The reason some people are a little bit wary on Linderbaum is that he's a bit smaller, like Jace mentioned. Sometimes pass protection, he can get beat by some bigger elite athletes. He's got Kevin Zeitler there to help him. I'm not super worried about that. And the scheme fit. Scheme fit, scheme fit, scheme fit. And some short, shorter arms as well. That's why he went from maybe top 10 center pick to was he going to be in the first round? And obviously the Ravens stopped that slide. He is much better, and we don't have to get into the details. I love the offensive line, but I am not one of these people that can break it down and all this stuff. Listen to your Nate Tyses and your Robert Mazes for that. I did uh, multiple times because they were talking about different things they can do with Linderbaum. Essentially, the Ravens run a big gap scheme, big linemen moving into the gaps, knocking guys out of gaps, shooting gaps with running backs. Linderbaum is much better in a zone scheme where he can kind of get out in space and get ahead of steam and, and run over guys that way. To me... And let's see, because it's Greg Roman, so who the hell knows? But this signals a bit of a change in the offensive philosophy. I think with the defensive philosophy we just talked about with Kyle Hamilton, you're going to be able to run, uh, Mike McDonald, excuse me, is going to be able to run multiple defensive backs and put them in a bunch of different ways, get really creative. It's I don't think it's going to be the hell for leather, wink, send the house type of stuff that we used to see a lot of the time. This, I think, changes the offensive philosophy a little bit. Now, you know, Joe Ravens fans going to be like, well, they're just going to run the ball all the time because they don't have any receivers. Well, they did draft two uh, super athletic pass catching tight ends that we'll get to in a second. One that they said might even be able to play on the outside a little bit for them. So we'll get there when we get there. But in terms of the running game, I think, and it's 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 exciting. I think that we're going to do some different stuff here, and I think that's going to. You know, the Ravens have been figured out a little bit on the offensive side of the football. Throw out throw out last year if you want because of all the injuries and and Lamar what have you, but. I think they need to. I think they need to adapt. They need to change and uh, tinker at the very, very least. And this almost forces them to do that by picking this player. And clearly, Roman's going to have a bit of a say uh, with a guy like Linderbaum there too. Also, in terms of size, watch him get off the bus at the castle. The thing elevates a couple feet off the ground after this man gets off of it. We're fine. He's got plenty of beef. He's he's a thick boy in the center. We're going to be okay. I I just. Coming out of the first night with Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum, and then all you get to do all to, all day is reading just beautiful pieces of everybody glowing about how great EDC is. Uh, ben Solak, I just saw this. Everybody else is gambling. The Ravens are the house is the way he ended his line <laughs> on the Ravens draft. Like, it, I was very, very excited heading into Friday uh, after the, making those two selections. On that In that video of him getting off the bus, Linderbaum, his, his hands are like two old-timey catcher's mitts, but without yeah. mitts or gloves on. Very scary. To say. I trust those hands. I don't care how long his arms are. I trust those <laughs> hands to grab defensive linemen and move them out of the way. Uh, I want to put a couple of bows on on some things that have been said here. 
shocked at the value that the Ravens got for trading Hollywood Brown. Would never have expected a first-round pick. I think the Ravens take that 10 times out of 10. I think they'd take that 9 times out of 10, even if he (laughs) hadn't requested a trade. I think they would still be interested in moving him at this stage in his contract for a first-round pick. I think they have faith in Rashad Bateman to where they can do this, and it doesn't become this disastrous situation in the wide receiver room. There is still some things need to be done. Some players need to be added, whether they are free agents in terms of young guys after the draft getting signed, or whether it's a veteran or both. Uh, That will likely happen. Because even if they do love Rashad Bateman, the rest of the room is pretty thin now. And Brown, I want to add a couple of things here. In three seasons, uh, is 12th on the Ravens in receiving yards and 5th in receiving touchdowns. So that has been the state of wide receivers for this franchise. And Hollywood was a, he was a cut above the vast majority of the receivers that the Ravens had. Tim's point about stretching the field and taking the top off, that is important for any team. That is important for the Ravens when 80% of their offense happens at the line of scrimmage and you need that player to keep at least one safety back more than 10 yards off the ball. So somebody needs to come in to take that role now that Hollywood is gone, but turning it into what is supposed to be a can't-miss center in the first round, I'm all for it. Uh, Jump on board, Lamar, because this is good for you. This is good for you, and this is good for the Ravens. Moving into other rounds now, uh, that was the end of the first round, obviously, for the Ravens. I'm going to bunch two players together here and let my co-hosts run with it, because before uh, the infamous fourth round, where the Ravens drafted all their dudes, they had one player in the second round and one player in the third round. And my goodness, are the Ravens good at drafting? They got David Ojabo in the second round, a top 15 talent as an edge rusher out of Michigan, we will see. That is obviously a bit of a question mark, a bit of a project. I cannot wait to see him for the playoff push in January for the Ravens. He's going to end the season with like four or five sacks in three games. And I'm I'm telling you that's what's going to happen now. And he's going to be a 10-sack-per-season guy in years after that. And they got him in the second round, where if this Achilles injury doesn't happen to Ojabo, they never get him because he's a top 20, let's say, guy drafted and, and they don't end up taking him and then in the third round defensive tackle Travis Jones I will admit I didn't know much about this player at the time and then I read that he was mocked at the end of the first round in some people's mock drafts and was a second round steal and the Ravens get him in the third round and boy is that going to fill a need for this team as well so Jace Tim Ojabo in the second Travis Jones in the third let's ride with this defense I was just about as fired up for the Ojabo pick as I was for about any pick. I'll admit, I, a part of me wanted Nicobe Dean every time the Ravens picked. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, just I'll put put my cards on the table there. I'm a Nicobe Dean fan, but apparently there are some medical questions with him. Certainly, Ojabo has medical questions considering he tore his Achilles. Um, and so, yes, he won't provide an immediate impact from day one as he recovers. But I think it's just such a smart value play. And obviously, and as we kind of talked about with Hamilton, um, I love the fit. Obviously, Mike McDonald, uh, Michigan's defensive coordinator last season, uh, is the Ravens defensive coordinator now. The guy who developed a Jabo into this breakout star, like, gets to coach him now. 
uh, Ajabo went to high school with Adafe Owe. I think I did not know about until uh, yesterday uh, or the, this past weekend. So that's very, I'm excited by that. Uh, you know, in theory, these are your, your cornerstone outside linebacker, defensive end type players, uh, you know, pass rushers for hopefully the next five years um, here. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a risk, but I think it's a great one worth taking. Cause like, like you said, like, it, it, the Ravens probably don't get a Jabo if this injury doesn't happen, if they don't pick him at 14. So to get him, you know, where it was a 45, I believe um, that, that I think that's just such a good value. And, you know, Achilles injuries, while they stink are healable. Uh, I believe uh, Rappaport reported he could be back by October. That seems a little optimistic to me, but um, uh, we'll see. And so I, I think it's just such a good uh, risk worth taking. He's very raw. Obviously he has, as we talked about with James, he has even less uh, experience that Adafa Owe has had playing. He, he's very new to football relatively. He didn't start playing until high school. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I'm very excited. I'm very excited to get a player as talented as him uh, with as much potential as him as low in the draft as they did. So I, I think while it, he won't provide a day one impact, certainly, and pass rush, as we said, still concerned kind of, uh, uh, especially two of what you're hoping are your top three pass rushers next season are coming off Achilles injuries. That's not ideal, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so th- there's still concerns there, but I-, I think it was a risk worth taking uh, with a Yeah. I mean, quickly on a I think the familiarity with Mike McDonald, I'm sure he was beaten down the door to try and get him drafted. You talk about the positional value and and the player who was going to be a surefire first round pick, probably in the conversations of 14 uh, without the injury. Uh, I wasn't as excited because of that, because, it, you know, the injury, it's not an immediate impact. And you're kind of like, you want these guys to be immediate impact. We've talked about the importance of these rookies now with Lamar going to be on his uh, on his big deal here. God willing, you know, soon, probably next season. But it's nice to have. Somebody that if he recovers from that injury, you see as a plug and play type of starter um, with people that are very familiar with him as well. Uh, So the value there is just absolutely insane. He's athletic. He's only been he was only a one year starter at Michigan, so he still has plenty to learn as well at the position. So you, you project him to only be getting better and better and better. That being said. You know, I think one of the few complaints you could have about this Ravens draft class is maybe they didn't address that every single need, um, you know, wide receiver being one of them. If, you know, we haven't really said it yet, we've been dancing around it. They did not select a wide receiver in this draft, <laughs> um, even after trading their best one. So that's interesting. And I still think they're going to need to add a veteran edge rusher. You know, Antonio's favorite Jadavion Clowney is still out there. There's guys <laughs> like, I, I think, I think Justin Houston is still out there as well. Uh, Jason Pierre Paul, you know, a guy that, or maybe a cap cap casualty in camp that they bring in, like they did with Justin Houston last year. Uh, and I think it's, believe it's post June 1st, or maybe it might be earlier than that is when they, um, they, there's no comp pick casualty, which is very, very important to the Ravens, obviously there. So a Jabo I like on Travis Jones, the guy's a fr- physical freak and wasn't really known because he played at UConn. Uh, I think Jonas Schaffer from the Baltimore Sun said he's already overcome so much adversity having to play under Randy Edsel, which is a former <laughs> as a former terp or as a current terp, I guess. I I appreciated that. And it's great to get a guy that 
fills a need, basically a Jordan Davis light. Now, clearly he's not going to project to be that Jordan Davis, seeing as he went to 76. But 6'4", 325 pounds. He was dominant at the combine, so clearly an athlete. And has some pass rushing juice. And what have we talked about with that defensive line? Interior pass rush is needed. Justin Matabuke needs to get better in that department. Calais Campbell's, you know, getting old and doesn't, it's not really what he does anymore. Michael Pierce definitely doesn't do that. And Derek Wolf, when healthy, doesn't do that either. He's a run stopper, and per, that's pretty much it. So to get a guy with a bit of juice in there that, again, you can rotate in. There's depth here, just like on the offensive line now. You project, you know, Pierce, Campbell, and Matabuke will be your starters. Then you bring in, if Derek Wolf is still there and healthy, you can rotate him in for run-stopping plays. You rotate in Travis Jones to take over that nose tackle position in the coming years. You have Broderick Washington still there as well, the young defensive tackle they drafted a couple years ago. So a lot of depth there as well with Jones and Ajabo. And you can just you just think of it in your head, the pieces of this defense now. The young pieces that this defense, if they all turn out and, you know, they're not all going to be superstars, but think of contributors. Go on the offensive li- or defensive line, excuse me. Matabuke, who they really like. Travis Jones. Then you're talking about Adafe Owe, David Ajabo. Patrick Queen is what he is. And obviously they still need a middle linebacker there as well. But he's not a bad player per se. Then you take Kyle Hamilton and Marcus Williams in the back end with Marlon Humphrey and at least another year or two of Marcus Peters. Guys, that's a damn good defense if it turns out, you know, down the line, if it, if it everybody kind of projects to what they're supposed to be. So nothing but excitement for me. And hell, I don't care. Oh, draft receiver. We don't have any ball catchers for Lamar. We're beefing up the defense, baby. We're back. The Ravens are a defensive football team. This is what matters. It brought a tear to my eye, honestly, to see them how many defensive players they drafted early. I, I love the Jones pick I, I, for exactly what you said. We don't have to dwell on it, but yeah, just to have just even the slightest bit, bit of pass rush uh, pop from that position uh, is really exciting. And as Antonio, as you said, a lot of people thought he'd be a second round pick for sure. And they got him in the third round. So, <laughs> you know, for their first four players off the board, you know, three of the four are are defensive and then the ones that offensive linemen but you know i i think tim said it well they need more at defensive line simply and i i think travis jones should help with that so i i was very excited with the pick i know you know you don't exactly you see a guy went to uconn and they i think uh, i read they went four and 32 while he was there so he's not a winner UConn had, yeah uconn had some issues but he, he was a standout performer for them there's a very fun clip of uh him just completely running over uh patriots first round pick cole strange at the senior bowl uh uh, that has been making the rounds uh, after the Patriots made that uh, kind of surprising pick. So, yeah, I'm very excited for for Travis Jones and uh, what the Ravens did the first uh, two days of the draft uh, as a whole. Man, Tim reading through that defensive roster got me in the mood for football uh, a second time <laughs> in this podcast because Tim, as you mentioned, we're, they, they don't that list of names. None of them have to exceed expectations. That's just exactly. be who you are already or become a serviceable serviceable NFL player outside of the draft. And that's a really good defense, and that's what I like. The Ravens then finally got to this, has now become legendary fourth round, where they had six picks in this, in this round. There were thoughts they might package them to move up, they might trade them to get something next year. But no, Eric DaCosta <laughs> said, uh, admitted, no, let's just draft some dudes. And boy, did they get 
players that they liked. They sort of like did a hodgepodge of things here. They got depth, they got needs, they got, uh, let's call them like a, a pot prospect, potential developed starter. So, in order, uh, offensive tackle, Daniel Falele. I'm going to let Tim just talk about him for a minute when we get to him. Cornerback, Jalen Armour Davis out of Alabama. Tight end, Charlie Kolar. Punter, Jordan Stout. Tight end, Isaiah Likely. And then cornerback, Demarion Williams. Guys, if two of these players pan out, this is a win in the fourth round. If Falele can become a starter, if we can, he's like the, the prospect that needs to develop. If he can become a starter because he's got the tools, nothing else from this round matters, right? If you can get a starter in the fourth round. If Jordan Stout is the best punter in, the, in this NFL draft, as he was the first one taken, this fourth round is a win. But I think we might be able to get a little bit more uh, out of all these different players. So, Tim, let's start with you uh, to talk about Falele and what else you want from this round, but starting with the big offensive tackle. Six, eight, three hundred and eighty-four pounds. A man <laughs> who only started playing football at his senior year in high school, but was still a three-year starter at the University of Minnesota because of his elite athletic traits at that size. A former rugby player. I mean, look, can it get any better? An Australian, so you know he's tough as hell. I think... Daniel Falele, it's an easy comparison, obviously, but it screams Orlando Brown Jr., a guy who was oversized, and, and you know, Orlando Brown was the athleticism that people were a bit concerned about, but at Falele, it's the raw, you know, what he, the raw power and stuff, but maybe not as refined as a technician at the right tackle spot. Guess what? We talked about Linderbaum kind of being a break of the mold because the Ravens love big dudes up front, and this is what Falele is exactly, uh, I think, you talk about the depth. Think of the think of the right tackle depth chart where he projects to start in a couple of years. Right now, it's Morgan Moses, stopgap. Then it's Jawan James, who who knows if he's if he's good for injury. I think it's a three million dollar cap hit now, so maybe they, he doesn't even make the opening day roster if they think they don't need him. It's Patrick McCarry, who is kind of your jack of all trades who can swing everywhere. And then Falele is going to get some rotation here. He is going to get a chance to prove himself. And the Ravens know how to. They know how to develop guys like this. The guys that are definite athletes who just need a little bit of fine-tuning, but they're going to take the physical traits all day. I mean, it was one of those where you're looking, you're getting into day three, and it's, okay, the Ravens still need a receiver. They still need, they still could use some tackle depth. Like, we don't, you know, maybe another edge if he's around, but they do have a Jabo, although that's more of a future pick, obviously, as well. But then they just, they they sit there and they go, oh, yeah. We're going to take the massive developmental tackle who fits us perfectly. The Ravens continue to dominate. And I, you know, I look, I, I, I've said it once. I've said it twice. I'm going to say it three times. We're basking in the glow of this draft class. And it's not only us as Ravens fans. It's, it's frankly the entire National Football League media uh, praising what the Ravens did here. And you can make the argument, well, they had a lot of picks. So it's easy to say that. But they weren't picking Cole Strange in the first round. They're waiting until the fourth round to take a guy who raw sure but already does have experience like i said three-year starter at minnesota I, I one of my favorite picks one of my absolute favorite picks that the ravens made and a guy that could project into your starting right tackle who probably doesn't want to play left tackle <laughs> this might be a dumb football fan thing of mine but oh it 100 percent is 
I love drafting guys who played right tackle to play right tackle and not just taking a left tackle and being like, you'll be a right tackle in the NFL. It's like, that's what he's been playing. He likes playing right tackle. He knows how to play it. You know, I, I, I love it. I mean, in the size and just the whole, the whole package, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, for me, I think um, it, it's not the sexiest position, certainly, but I think the most intriguing pick is uh, Jordan Stout because uh as you kind of said antonio it's a punter in the fourth round um the last time the ravens drafted a punter i believe was sam cook and he was their punter for 16 seasons kind of seems like they're gonna cut sam cook um they were pretty non-committal to him which is a bummer they will save 2.1 million for cutting sam cook um you know sam cook turns 40 this fall i think there were games we talked about like his his numbers on the whole look good, but there were certainly performances that I I, I think we felt he had slipped a bit this past season. Um, so I'm not absolutely stunned the Ravens drafted a punter. Uh, I was a little surprised it came in this fourth round, but it certainly seems like uh, this guy spells the end of Jordan Stout. And obviously, we should just I guess mention there's been a big debate. Uh, Matt Areza, the punter from San Diego State, became quite kind of infamous, famous on the internet uh, as being "quote unquote" the punt god for his record-setting uh, uh, punt average. But DeCosta said in uh, a piece Peter King did that Stout was the only punter they were ever considering. So uh, while the internet wanted, uh, I think, was surprised by this pick. I think there are things they like about Jordan Stout. He he himself mentioned he thinks one of his strongest traits is his holding ability. Which, uh, you know, that's that that sounds like he studied like for an exam in his interview and knew exactly what to say so the Ravens would draft him. Um, but uh, so that certainly I'm sure went over very well in the Ravens uh, room. Obviously, I don't know a ton about Jordan Stout. I'm sure I watched him punt 45 times watching Penn State games the last you know two or three years, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything to say about the the averages look good, <laughs> but uh, but for for me the the bigger story is it does seem like it's the end of Sam Cook, which is you know it's sad you know he's a punter, but he's the longest tenured player on the Ravens. He's played more games than anyone in the history of the Ravens. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a bummer, but that's you know that's the NFL. That's kind of how it goes. They just sort of draft your replacement one day. Uh, when you don't totally expect it, but you know, one year left on his deal, four years old, I, we kind of saw the writing on the wall. I think it's what, yeah, one of those things where it's bittersweet. He's been there for a long time, but it's also like it's okay for your thirty-nine-year-old punter <laughs> to sort of go off into the sunset uh, yeah. as the longest tenured like Raven that's currently on the team by a lot. Um, I know very little about Jordan Stout. I know that. <laughs> The San Diego State punter was not the second punter drafted either. Uh, I was texting with a couple of my friends, so shout out, uh, shout out, Jared, shout out, John, and they were asking me what I thought about taking a punter, taking uh, is it Ariza or Ariza? Ariza? It's punt god. Punt god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say <laughs> they, were, they were asking me about taking the punt god in the fourth round, and I said, oh, maybe, like in the. There is sort of the talk about Cook not being, uh, not having the greatest season, but the Ravens just, they don't feel like a team drafting a punter in the fourth round and then like hit send and the Ravens have drafted a punter in the fourth round <laughs> who's, who's not the punt god, but Jordan Stout. So I'm going to trust the Ravens uh, on this one. And uh, 
and boy, holding, beautiful. What a what a gift, what a talent that he has for holding. <laughs> it's like what a job interview where you say you're good at the commute into the job. Uh, you're just going <laughs> to nail that commute and, and be in there hey, on time. Hey, it's, it's important until Areza screws one up for the Bills in a playoff game, and then we can circle back to this. I do want to quickly just on the punter thing, and we can talk about other prospects because we don't have to spend too long. Sam Cook. For the for the maybe one of you that listened back to the Ravens wrap up days in college, best player in the league was the joke about Sam Cook all the time. Gonna miss him terribly. He was one of the more underrated Ravens in his run because of how good he was. That's why he kept his job for so long. I think the reason they took uh, they didn't take the punt god Matariza and they ended up with uh, Jordan Stout as, as well was his ability. And it's funny because we all went, oh, my gosh. And then you listen to the analysts and stuff. They're like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. First of all, as you guys mentioned, DaCosta said only guy they would have taken. So with Sam Cook being out for, you know, basically being turning 40 years old when the season starts, if you have an opportunity to get a 10-year starter here, you kind of have to do it. Like, it's it's just he would kick himself if he didn't. Maybe there's not a good prospect. And Ariza went to a team in the Buffalo Bills who are notorious for not punting the ball away unless they are deep in their own territory. What does he do well? Boot the ball as far as he can. Stout is much better with the hang time and the positional awareness, Lana, and all that good stuff, the coffin corners, what have you, that I think Harbaugh, being a special teams nerd that he is, values. So, you know, all of us punting experts were very annoyed when Punt God didn't go to the Ravens, (laughs) but uh, I think it makes sense when you look at it from that context. Uh, elsewhere in this round, the Ravens, and it's, we talk about, you know, they didn't draft every need, they didn't get a wide receiver, but they, the Ravens, more maybe than any other team, they wait for the players to fall into their lap. I think in this round, they did a little bit of both things in terms of taking the best players available while also trying to fill a couple of needs, and the big ones, two cornerbacks, they need depth there two pass-catching tight ends. They needed some depth there. Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I was not extremely familiar with most of these guys, um, but looking at the cornerbacks and the tight ends, what can you tell us about uh, what we can expect maybe in a best-case scenario? Yeah, so I really like the Kohler pick. He's been really solid for Iowa State for the last several years. He's really smart, I believe. If he didn't win the academic Heisman, he was a finalist for it. He was a finalist for the John Mackey Award, which is the tight, uh, top college tight end. Uh, the book on kind of both of these, per the analysts at The Athletic, is they're, uh, yeah, pass catching first, not much of blockers, <laughs> uh, which seems to speak to Nick Boyle still having a very prominent role uh, with the Ravens if he's back to full health. Um, but, but I like it just in the sense, and likely... Um, I probably watched less just because Coastal Carolina is not on TV a ton as much or on the major networks. Um, but uh, I still saw a good bit of their games because they would play on weird nights and stuff. And he, like, very productive. One of the most productive tight ends the last uh, two seasons, I believe. So um, I, I like it just in the sense of, like, Mark Andrews does need help as good as Mark Andrews was. I think, you know, I, I think since the Ravens traded Hayden Hurst, um, there has been a, a bit of a decline in uh, certainly last season. We saw what like not having a, a we lo- we love to throw into tight ends and Greg Roman's offense. Lamar loves throwing to tight ends, and so I think it's good to have pass catchers. They're both huge guys, uh, Kohler especially. I think he's like he's he's a monster. He's I think he's six tall. seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's huge. Yeah, six seven two fifty two. So um, I like both of those guys. The cornerbacks. Um, 
Armor Davis, the real question seems to be health with him, which is a concern for a team that had every corner get hurt last year. <laughs> um, that's a, a minor concern. Uh, but uh, the one thing I liked about, I honestly, I didn't know a ton about Demarion Williams, but the athletic described him as being like the most competitive guy on his team uh, and like a captain, and, you know, three year starter or whatever. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, for late their final fourth round pick, I'll take it. For the 141st overall, uh, I, I think they're both solid moves. I mean, Armour Davis was very talented. He he just his injury uh, has concerns. Um, certainly, he didn't play a ton at Alabama uh, because of injuries. But um, if he's healthy, I think it's you don't want to use the steal, but certainly they boost their depth there at a position of need. Uh, they love their Alabama cornerbacks, obviously, uh, Marlon Humphrey, Anthony Averett, and now <laughs> Jalen Armour Davis. Uh, so I, I was a big fan. I, I, I like the tight ends, uh, especially. I think they'll help a lot. Even if you, you'd love them to be a little better blockers, I think it can't hurt to give, you know, Lamar more huge targets uh, over the middle of the field. Yeah, I mean, Armour Davis was all SEC after taking over from Patrick Sertan II, according to The Athletic. Um, you know, didn't allow a touchdown, had three interceptions as well. Teams bring up the medicals, as Jay said, so that's why you get him in the fourth round and he's not a, you know, late first, early second round pick, whatever. I love this too, and, and Jay, Jason and I are reading the same article, although we have been reading so much, but it's just a good reference point here from Dame Brugler in The Athletic. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple lines here on both tight ends. Starting with Charlie Kohler at Iowa State. Kohler is a quarterback's best friend because he makes himself available, has a large catch radius, and is strong to the football. He's one of the smartest players out there. Isaiah Likely. Likely is a quarterback's best friend with his ability to snap out of breaks, <laughs> makes himself available mid-route, and constantly plucks balls outside of his frame. Now, they're both receiving guys, but it seems like a little bit different. Kohler, it seems like he's going to be your big, just, hey, put it wherever, and I'll catch it. Uh, likely is going to be your big play guy. He had five career touchdowns of 50-plus yards. He's a tight end. Five career touchdowns of 50-plus yards. Uh, Dane Brugler goes on to say he's more of an oversized wideout than a traditional tight end, uh, but he does play with some toughness. He was responsible for 14 receptions of 20-plus yards just in 2021 alone, including a 99-yard touchdown run. Like, the guy is a physical freak as a tight end position, and this is, and we we talk we've been talking about it a lot here. I think that the Ravens, in a way, are zigging when everybody is zagging, right? They're like, you know what we do best, as Jace mentioned, Lamar loves throwing to his tight ends, absolutely loves it. So let's load up on that position. But you can draft a guy like Isaiah Likely, who they said in the, in the piece that Peter King wrote. Peter King was with the Ravens in the draft room during the fourth round. They all were basically talking like he's too good to pass up. We can't not take this guy, even though Cole, we just took Kohler. There's going to be a lot of three tight end personnel here, and it's going to be on passing down. So what that does for you, think about this. With the four tight ends that they're likely going to have on this roster, and don't forget Patrick Ricard, he's a fullback, even though he thinks he's a tight end. <laughs> have them as well. Put three of the four in at any one, at any one time. Let's just say it's Mark Andrews, who is obviously your all-pro do-it-all. You're Nick Boyle, and then maybe you split out a guy like Isaiah Likely. Again, more of an oversized wideout than a, than a tight end. Or you bring him kind of on like the wing T part of the line, like right off of the line. What is that team doing? Are they blocking and running it right up your throat? Are they swinging Linderbaum out to the right with Nick Boyle and having those two guys lead block for a Gus Edwards or a J.K. Dobbins? Or are they running play action and having Isaiah Likely, Rashad Bateman, and Mark Andrews run on you? Like It, pres it provides options because these guys are so 
talented. And I think tight end, like safety, is one of those weird positions. Maybe the Ravens value it more more than others, but Ra- the Ravens also know how to use it. And you get a guy that it says tight end on the depth chart, but maybe he's not that. I mean, the, the explosiveness from Isaiah Likely is what, was what I love here. I mean, you talk about it. He finished number two in the FBS in receiving yards and touchdowns as a senior, uh, nine hundred and twelve with two, or nine hundred twelve yards with twelve touchdowns, and like I mentioned. Five career touchdowns of 50-plus yards from a tight end. The dude's not a tight end. He's a weapon, and the Ravens are going to use him that way. And it's it's the way it varies them, and this is all if Greg Roman does it, so you know I wouldn't <laughs> hold your breath. But the way it gives them options and variations, and they can make particular things look the same but do a bunch of different stuff out of the things that look similar to confuse defenses, I think is is massive for this team. And I'm it, uh, Again, I just need football. I just want football right now. <laughs> I mean, what I just love just on the explosiveness, lest we forget, the Ravens, I believe, were the only team in the NFL without a 50-yard play last year. So <laughs> I, I, I like the idea of adding weapons, even if they're not in the wide receiver position. But, yeah, just getting talent. <laughs> Guys who can make plays. I think that's very important. Didn't have a 50-yard touchdown, then traded their fastest playmaker, I would say, outside of <laughs> Lamar Jackson in the first round. Yeah, I love it. Versatility is the name of the game. They have options. They have things they can do now. The gauntlet has been thrown down for Greg Roman because now you got to prove that you as a coordinator can use all these players and put them in a position to succeed and put the offense in a position to succeed. Uh, the Ravens also did tack on uh, running back Tyler. I hope it's Batty. It might be Beatty, but I hope it's Tyler Batty uh, in the sixth round. He's like a pass-catching option uh, out of the backfield. Not a ton to do there out of Missouri. Um, he will try to be a third down back and help on special teams if he's going to make this roster. Outside of that, after the draft and the days following, the Ravens reportedly uh, signed a couple of college, you know, post-college free agents, uh, including two wide receivers, Makai Polk, who had 105 catches last season at Mississippi State, and Slade Bolden an Alabama wide receiver who is essentially a slot specialist. And there may be an opportunity for one or both of those guys to uh, to hang on to this sort of the roster as we get into the summer. Um, and then they also, I didn't put the names because it's more than two. It's like three or four linebackers that the Ravens also signed as free agents. So Baltimore more than any other team, one of these players gets signed and sticks around <laughs> and p- will play a lot and might even play outside of special teams. So opportunities there for wide receivers, for linebackers, and we will see what the Ravens do later on in the offseason to fill some more of those uh, some more of those gaps that are left after what was just chef's kiss draft <laughs> uh, with 11 strong players. It's almost getting, I'm like almost bothered by how complimentary the national media has been of the Ravens. <laughs> Because it's only gonna get like worse from here, basically. But <laughs> as it stands right now, a lot of talent, a lot yeah, of starting. There, there needs to be like at least one dissenting voice out there to make to to keep us grounded. I think <laughs> we've been talking about this for long enough, so I'm gonna stop us now. We could do three hours uh, on Ravens draftees alone, but for now, we're gonna do the random Raven. Jace is up, and then we're gonna give you ten or fifteen minutes on the NFL draft as a whole. So, Jace, who do you have for us? Yeah, so I wanted to go with the player uh, drafted by the Ravens in honor of the draft. So this player was drafted by the Ravens in the second round of the 2005 NFL Draft. 
The Syracuse product appeared in 48 regular season games in Baltimore uh, over four seasons, but made only 18 starts. After missing the entire 2009 season due to a knee injury, this player appeared in just two more games in the NFL with the Chargers in 2010. Clue number four, the hulking 6'8", 335-pound offensive lineman primarily alternated between both tackle spots during his time in Baltimore. Clue number five, his number 78 was most recently worn by Alejandro Villanueva. Uh, I just love that uh, this was the, the comp that you went for uh, based on what the Ravens did in the draft this year. So, fantastic. <laughs> we will have you go over those clues again. Uh, Tim, are you? Uh, how do you feel about this random oh, I, I, I It's annoying that I got the offensive lineman from Syracuse that quickly. <laughs> but as soon as he said Syracuse, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's... And I think I think I'm right. If I got the name right, the name could be slightly off. I I have a bonus clue that I just found fun. I'll share uh, when we <laughs> we uh, hit it on the back end. All right, let's turn now. There's, I mean, there's so much draft coverage out there. The listener has read stuff. They've seen stuff. But we just want to go over a few talking points here. And we I said it in the intro, but I'll say it again. No one's mock was safe. Uh, that could be our mock or most NFL experts' mocks. Um, and that's okay. You know, it's just an exercise. It's, it's not the end all be all. The Walker Hutchinson debate started the second that Walker was taken ahead of Hutchinson and it will end five to seven years from now when, when we are (laughs) finally able to analyze who actually was the better NFL player. I thought it was interesting. Stingley and, and, um, Sauce Gardner were taken back to back. That kind of happened with it happened with the two of them. It happened with the wide receivers later in the round. These NFL teams, they can't help themselves. When they uh, think that a position of need is getting taken, they rush to do that same position, but the Ravens do not. Um, the only team that I've seen as congratulated as the Ravens have been for their draft chops is the Chiefs, and of course it's the Chiefs, and that's annoying to me because they needed to have a strong draft after letting Tyreek Hill go, and they sort of have the, the let's call it the stench of that Bengals uh, loss, that second half collapse. They end up getting uh, the cornerback McDuffie out of Washington at 21, and then the, the edge rusher, defensive end, whatever you want to call him, Carl Loftus at 30. Uh, they're getting a lot of a lot of buzz for, for drafting well Compared to a team like the Giants and the Jets, they're getting a lot of, you know, good pub too. But they were picking in the top ten. They had multiple picks in the top ten. So, are we uh, are we back to being terrified uh, by the Chiefs after a strong draft? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I was never not <laughs> terrified of the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes still plays for that football team. I'm yeah, I'm continuing to be nervous about them. And then you get the likes of. Um, you know, George Karloftis, who was linked to the Ravens at 14 a lot, who could be an immediate starter for them. Trent McDuffie, as well, as you mentioned, I think was uh, was great. I just want to mention real quickly, in terms of other A-plus teams, another team that I've seen universally praised uh, that, that isn't on, on our little on our dock here is Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but Jordan Davis is a great pick. Uh, you know, even with all the jokes earlier in the podcast, I think that them doing that, I think was incredible. Cam Jurgens, the center that they got in the second round. Jason Kelsey, who is their possibly Hall of Fame center that has been there forever, said Cam Jurgens is the guy that's gonna that should replace me. Like beat the table down for them to draft Jurgens to replace himself. You never <laughs> see that. He gets to learn under Jason Kelsey for maybe another year or two before sliding into that role. I think is a great pick. 
And then Nicobe Dean, as we talked about. They got Nicobe Dean in the third round. Now, apparently there are, which we didn't even know about, massive, massive injury concerns with Nicobe Dean that's, that apparently teams, you know, you would assume the Ravens because they didn't take him and there were multiple opportunities to, completely scratched him off their board. Didn't want anything to do with, uh, with the injury concerns. But look, third round, 83rd overall pick, and if he can be... Even just a one-contract player and a guy that can contribute at any sort of level like he did back at Georgia. Those are one, two, three incredible picks. Oh, yeah, and then they have A.J. Brown now, too, and barely had to give up anything for him. Yeah, and they still have two first-round picks next year. The Eagles are doing some good work uh, doing this kind of rebuild on the fly. Um, you know, you mentioned the Giants. I will say I loved their first round. It's uh, it's it's hard not to nail when you have two top seven picks, but I did think uh, they got maybe two of the three best players in the draft at five and seven in Kayvon Thibodeau uh, and uh, Evan Neal. I think they're just perfect for what they need. Evan Neal's started at basically every position on the offensive line. He'll probably slot into right tackle for them. Um and, you know, they might not have a quarterback, but that's okay because they have two stud offensive tackles for the Giants and they can figure out the quarterback next year, uh, either bring in a veteran. And then, yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau, I-, I thought probably still should in the end have been the first overall pick. I think teams overthought it a bit, but he, he he's and listening to interviews with him in the lead up to the draft, too. I think he's going to be. If he's talented, he's going to be a huge star uh, in the league playing for the Giants, especially if he leads any sort of, you know, Giants renaissance after kind of the doldrums they've been in. Um, The other, uh, I guess, first round I liked a lot. I liked the Lions getting real aggressive and trading up for Jamison Williams. I thought that was an awesome move. They they weren't content to just sit at 32. Um, You know, I I think they made a pick at, at two when Walker went one. I don't think a team made a pick faster than when they submitted their card for Hutchinson <laughs> uh, I just think it was it's it was such a slam dunk for them uh w- once once uh Walker went and I like Hutchinson I don't I, I know we expressed our concerns about him as a first but I I still think he's a good pick for the Lions and what they need and and then yeah to trade up for Jamison Williams just get maybe the most talented wide receiver I think it's okay to just be like yeah Jared Goff's our quarterback He's fine. Jared Goff is far from the worst quarterback in the NFL. He has clear limitations, but he's not awful. Uh, um, but, you know, you can pretty much replace him pretty easily next year. So I, I like the, what the Lions are doing, where they just say, we have a at least competent quarterback. Let's just get talent everywhere else. And then we'll fi- if they, we can, they can hit the QB, I think the Lions are kind of have something special uh, in the works, potentially. But So I, I was really impressed with their draft, too. Was in, but yeah, you guys touched on it. The Chiefs, they went heavy on defense. They seemed to draft just everything they needed. And I hate it. They're going to be good. The Chiefs are going to win the AFC West again next year. Do not buy the Chargers hype. The Chargers will find ways to lose stupid games. The Raiders will find ways to lose stupid games. The Broncos will win 10 games. The Chiefs will win that division. Uh and it's gonna suck, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know all the it's it's funny. All the good teams did good things. Like the Bills had another good draft, I think. So I, I I think there's just several teams that are really well run in the NFL right now, and I I like to think the Ravens are amongst them, but they're not they're not the only ones doing good things. Certainly, uh, that's for sure. And Jace, you mentioned the Lions. I feel like they posit for a team that's been bad essentially forever. Uh, I thought they did some really nice things, and while still positioning themselves to be bad this year, and then get a quarterback next in next year's quarterback-rich draft, and finally have a stable franchise. They got 
two very good players that are going to be needed on a team that will at some point have a pretty good quarterback. Uh, Josh Pascal, their second-round pick uh, out of Kentucky, defensive end, he's been uh, he's been praised as, as a good pick for them as well. So, you know, you get a couple of good position players, you go 4-13, and 13, and then you <laughs> draft a quarterback in the top 10 next year, and now you really, now you really got something. Got something going. Um, some teams that did funny things when you talk about teams that draft well, and it, I, I tried to do it in the mock because I had the Packers for both picks, and I couldn't help myself uh, because Traylon Burks was available, so I finally had the Packers take a wide receiver in the mock. Traylon Burks went to the Titans uh, before the Packers could draft. Burks, I guarantee, is going to annoy us for the next five years, by the way. But so in response, the Packers take two defensive players in the first round. No wide receivers for Aaron Rodgers. We love it so much. They eventually did get somebody in the second round. Uh, and I read his, like, report. I forget his name, but it was like, good upside, has to solve the drops. So I can't wait until Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw him the ball after week four uh, because he's had a drop in, in week three. So love what the Packers are doing. And then love what the Patriots are doing. <laughs> because they, in the first round, take Cole Strange, Chattanooga guard, who most people had going late in the second round. Kind of love what the what the Pats are doing. Uh, thoughts on uh, on those two moves, or, or what else you guys thought was uh, the the funnier draft pick or the most uh, WTF move by a team? The Cole Strange was definitely the most W. That was the one that left every analyst just confused. Uh, you could tell on ESPN they were not prepared to talk about Cole Strange in that moment. Uh, I do not think. But, you know, the Patriots do weird stuff like that. And I, I've listened to enough stuff that people do think Strange will be a good player, but perhaps just one overdrafted uh, a bit given value. But, you know, Belichick's made, I mean, two years ago they made Kyle Duggar their first selection. They traded out of the first round into the early second and then picked Kyle Duggar out of a division two school called Lenore Rhine. So, you know, the Pats do what the Pats do. For me, by far the funniest was the Green Bay Packers. I, for a team, I don't really care. Uh, You know, I like Aaron Rodgers a little less so thanks to his antics of the past year and a half or so. But, uh, you know, I don't think there's any team that's funnier in the NFL. They they lose in the playoffs 13-10 to 10 because they score on their first drive and never score again. Uh, it, with Rodgers just trying to force ball after ball to his, the only receiver he trusts. They trade that receiver and then they don't draft a wide receiver in the first round and then also give Aaron Rodgers 50 million a year. Uh, you know, Rodgers on McAfee's show... Um, Claimed he didn't care, but then they, or, or claimed he knew the plan and wasn't too bothered by it. But then the Packers trade up for what the first pick on day two, uh, for second a very pick, early pick. Yeah, second yeah. pick, yeah, one of the first picks on day two to draft a wide receiver. So that I wonder if he he placed some calls <laughs> in between the start of the uh, the end of the first round and start of the second round. So I don't know how much I believe Rodgers when he said he was okay with what happened than what the Packers did in the second round. But uh, yeah, I mean maybe Watson, uh, he's what North Dakota State product. Um, maybe he he works out. <laughs> uh, they also drafted a receiver out of Nevada, but. Um, uh, 
Yeah, I, I just think everything the Packers do is so funny. And it, you know what? They're still going to win that division, like running away. That's <laughs> like, I, I don't trust the Vikings and the Bears are going to be one of the four worst teams in the NFL. And as we talked about, who knows what the Lions, I think they can maybe compete a little bit, but they're not going to challenge for the division. So it's so funny. We're just setting up for like the Packers to lose at Lambeau in January with all the same problems for like the fourth year in a row. I just find them the funniest franchise out there. And the draft is where they really shine. I think uh, just year after year, seeming seemingly living to antagonize Aaron Rodgers. It's great. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think Devonte Wyatt and Quay Walker are going to be two good players for them. And it oh, just sure. kind of sucks yeah, that yeah. they get overshadowed because they, of this. They keep drafting good players. Like yeah. they did like Eric Stokes was good when they took, and it's really only the Jordan Love picks been questionable, but yeah, all the not receivers they take, but no receiver in the first round in 20 years for the Packers. <laughs> it seems impossible. They've had a hall of fame QB the entire time, but they haven't drafted one receiver in the first round. Well, that seems impossible. Jace, you know that they believe in their day two guys. They've gotten guys like Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson. So they have to trust them. Um, I, I mean, look, those are probably the two big ones. And so you nail it. I, I wonder at what point are we kind of like, maybe the old man shouldn't be driving the car anymore when it comes to Bill Belichick. Um, because look, you can't, and we say this with the likes of LeBron and stuff too. You'd rather back them and just be wrong the first time that you're wrong about it. than then jump off the bandwagon too early with a guy like that. But it's just, it's almost getting to be a bit at this point. Um, the only other one that I think is funny is the Chicago bears. Um, (laughs) they had so many picks and I'm looking at their list now. They drafted one receiver for Justin Fields. They drafted a couple of offensive linemen in rounds five and six. They had, they had one, two, three. They had six picks in rounds six and seven combined, which is where they made most of their selections. Their first pick was a corner. Their second pick was a safety. Again, two good players, but this is the Justin Fields era, and the roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is dross, and he is going to have no help. And I know it's a new GM, new regime. They're not necessarily married to Justin Fields, but you would think that you're going to try and give your guy the best chance to win. And the receiver that they did take, Valus Jones Jr., out of uh, Tennessee, I believe, and I can confirm this, is 25 years old. <laughs> 25 I know years old him. out of Tennessee. He's, or excuse me. Yeah, he is. He's gonna be twenty five in this week or this month. Excuse me, May eleventh. <laughs> he's primarily a kick returner, punt returner for them as well. So I just look. It's the guy's first draft. Ryan Poles, I believe, is the GM's name. You're gonna give him the benefit of the doubt at least to start. They didn't have a first round pick because of Justin Fields' trade and what have you. But it just I'm coming out of there as a Bears fan. And I'm like, you know, as we're screaming from the rooftops, just give me football. I think they're just hoping that the summer never ends because they don't want to watch this team. <laughs> Final uh, talking point that I wanted to go over. We touched on the quarterbacks a little bit at the top of this episode in terms of um, teams being patient and not reaching, which we see seemingly every other year with quarterbacks in the draft. Kenny Pickett is Pittsburgh's quarterback of the future, taken in the first round at pick 20. Uh I'm, uh, you know, it's easy to guess with a rookie quarterback, but I was pretty comfortable with the pick. Uh, it just doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to, like, scare me in Pittsburgh, but watch me eat my words on that. And then no other quarterback was taken until the third round, and yet 
all those teams that needed a quarterback basically got those top guys <laughs> in the later rounds. And so I, it was a nice lesson in value. Um, Malik Willis ends up going to the Titans. I think that is a perfect spot for him. There is absolutely no pressure or expectation to play this season. Um, they got a good coach there. They got a good infrastructure. He's going to be able to learn a lot. And then when he's ready, they'll, you know, cut Tannehill or whatever, try to figure out what to do with that gigantic contract. The Falcons were able to get Desmond Ritter. The Panthers got Matt Corral. These were all the player-to-team matchups that we were hoping were going to happen in the first 20 picks, but they all just still <laughs> happened in the third round. So maybe a lesson here in how to draft quarterbacks uh, in future drafts, especially if they're not sort of seen as, as you know, top, top, can't-miss prospects. Um, but I'm curious as to your guys' thoughts on this quarterback class and specifically Kenny Pickett. Uh, going against Baltimore at some point. Yeah, I'll go quickly here. Uh, my my Steelers f- uh, fan friend, when that pick was made, uh, sent me a text that just said, quote, my head is in a mental pretzel. So, uh, you know, I take that as, a, oh, all right, well, this is okay. I mean, Pickett's the most pro-ready guy, and if Kevin Colbert's trying to pull an Ozzie Newsome and in his final draft set the franchise up for the next, who knows what Lamar, because he hasn't signed his contract, but, you know, next couple of years, we'll say, uh, I I don't think it's – it's funny to laugh because it's like, oh, wait, all the other guys went that late. The Steelers could have waited. But you never know. Maybe everybody just loved Pickett uh, compared to everybody else. So you might need to just just take him anyway in that first round. So I, I don't know. It's tough to laugh at him. I think the, other, the only other one I'm going to point to, I, I think Desmond Ritter has a really good chance to play there. And I think for the Falcons in particular, it's a great pick for them. A lot of people, a lot of very smart people had Ritter as their QB1 in this class. The guy who maybe not the most ready at the moment, but has all the physical attributes and the mental makeup. I mean, we joked about it before, but it's not a joke. He looks like one of the most intense guys coming out of this draft class. And he gets a chance to possibly play here on and maybe prove something and see that if he could be your Davis Mills type, where the Texans, it seems like, by all intents and purposes, are going to try Davis Mills in year two here of his career. And for the Falcons, if you do give Ritter a chance and he doesn't show you anything, well, you're probably going to be a top pick anyway, and you can get the likes of C.J. Stroud or get the likes of uh, the Bryce, Bryce Young, the quarterback out of Alabama, what have you. So I think it, player and team, I thought that was a great, uh, great fit there. Desmond Ritter going, I believe it was either third or it might have been fourth round to the Falcons. We should also probably just mention Sam Howell ended up going to Washington, which I think is uh, even later uh, than the sort of run of quarterbacks that happened, which I, I found intriguing just because, you know, how looked like he was going to be a top a first round pick coming out of his sophomore year and then basically every role player on North Carolina graduated and he was stuck there uh for his junior year and had no one to catch the ball so or block for him so it'll be interesting to, to sort of see um if he's able to supplant Carson Wentz at all. I doubt it in the immediate future, but, you know, Wentz gets hurt a ton. So we we may see some Sam Howell uh, at some point in Washington. But uh, uh, I love Willis, as you mentioned, uh, Antonio. I think that's a perfect landing spot for him because they're married to Tannehill. I think Tannehill's cap hits, like, close to $50 million this year. There's no moving from Ryan Tannehill this season. But I think 
you know, Tannehill's somehow 34 or turning 34. He's he's older than you think. And so I think it's a good bet uh, for the Titans on their future to kind of take a flyer on a guy who everyone says has incredible tools and is just really raw. So I, I like that a lot for them begrudgingly because I know he's going to kill us in the, probably in the years to come. Uh, but as for Kenny Pickett, I, it just... I think he's fine. I think he'll be good. I like. I think the Steelers have a good team. You know, they drafted George Pickens, who I think was a wide receiver. The Ravens may have been looking at, perhaps, uh, or at least certainly Ravens fans were looking at. Um, uh, but um, I, I, I like a lot of the offense around them. They they made some strides to help improve their offensive line, and I, I think they'll compete with him. But I'm is he gonna be like more than Mac Jones? And I don't even know if he's as talented as Mac Jones, honestly. Uh he's old. He's he's already twenty four or turning twenty four. Um because he's a fifth year senior. I just feel like his ceiling is still the fourth best quarterback in the AFC North. And you know, what are like if you're gonna have to go toe to toe with Burrow and Watson and Lamar every year is Pickett going to be enough for you? I don't know that he is, but maybe the Steelers are just like, we just need someone to be competent for a few years, and then we could maybe draft a different guy. I don't know. He doesn't seem like super inspiring. I mean, it is cool. The guy who went to Pittsburgh stays at Pitt, um, and then the fans love that, I'm sure. But, uh, like, aside from that, and he is the most ready to play day one, so that's why they picked him. And I assume he'll start over Trubisky, because... If you pick the guy who's ready to go day one, there's no reason for him to then sit on the bench. Um, but it, it was just weird because Tomlin made all this talk about he was. They seemed like they loved Malik Willis, and they were constantly talking about how they want a mobile quarterback. And not that Pickett isn't mobile, but of all the guys like Ritter and Corral and Willis, especially Pickett's the least mobile of those four. <laughs> so it was like, well, then you didn't really care about it. Like, you know, Pickett can certainly move way better, way, way, way better than Ben Roethlisberger could the last several years. But, uh, um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I I'm just, I kind of leave just uninspired. I think Pickett will be good. He'll beat the Ravens <laughs> at some point. Uh, but I just, I just don't know how high his ceiling is. And so it just kind of, it leaves me going like fine. And that's how I felt about Mac Jones too. And the Patriots got him, uh, into the, they, they made it work and they made the playoffs in year one. So maybe it, it will probably work for the Steelers because the Steelers are a well-run organization and things work for them. But yeah, I'm just not inspired that he's going to elevate them to, like, Super Bowl glory on the strength of himself alone, basically. You said uh, you were talking about Pickett's ceiling. I thought you were going to say his ceiling was a strong final season at Pitt that gets him drafted <laughs> to an NFL team because that last season certainly came out of nowhere based on his production uh, in, in previous years. So, boy, I'm just – it's so much talk right now from me, but – yeah, I'm much more comfortable for some reason for them taking Pickett than uh, than Malik Willis, and uh, it was Willis was rounds later. So what do I know? Uh, but we will certainly see uh, in the next few years, guys. Any final thoughts uh, on the draft? Ravens players, NFL players. Otherwise, we'll have uh, Jace read the random Raven clues to us one more time. Yeah, just excited. It was an exciting draft, uh, and uh, look forward to yeah. Can't wait to see all the jersey numbers and the mini camp. Oh, it's uh, going to be so good. But uh, just dive into the random Raven here. So clue number one, again, not a ton of clues, but uh, this player was drafted by the Ravens in the second round of the 2005 NFL draft. 
The Syracuse product appeared in 48 regular season games in four years in Baltimore, but made only 18 starts. After missing the entire 2009 season due to a knee injury, this player appeared in just two more games in the NFL with the Chargers in 2010. The hulking 6'8", 335-pound offensive lineman primarily alternated between both tackle spots during his periodic starts in Baltimore. Clue 5, his number 78 was most recently worn by Alejandro Villanueva last season. And the bonus clue, he is currently an analyst for Syracuse Football Radio Broadcasts. <laughs> That's uh, that's fantastic. Good for him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let Tim, uh, you know, this is Tim's sweet spot. I'm going to let Tim take this one if you have a name there. I mean, it's ridiculous that how quickly this came to me. Uh, Adam Terry is this random raven. And part of it might be this was my Madden heyday years doing the franchise modes with the Ravens and building up that offensive line getting rid of Adam Terry swiftly because he wasn't that good or part of it's just I probably tried to do him at one point and like Jay said there's not a ton of clues for a former offensive tackle so maybe I just passed I'll I'll yeah. add a oh actually yeah Jay first let's see if this is the right answer well yes yeah, so it is Adam <laughs> Terry uh Adam Terry is this week's random raven go ahead Andrew. I was gonna add a little fun fact uh to this random raven I met Adam Terry once and uh I was like uh oh boy high school age I guess I was at a raven's I was at M&T Bank Stadium for a non-Ravens event, and he was there checking it out, and that was maybe my first, because we shook hands, and it was maybe my first, like, oh my gosh, football players are large human <laughs> beings. It was like he was just shaking my, like, elbow or something, and that was, yeah. What a pick, Jace. What a pick, and uh, yeah, a, perfect, I don't really a perfect guy for this this week. Know why he popped into my head stunned he was a second-round pick? I would have said, like, sixth. <laughs> fifth or sixth round pick but yeah second round pick out of Syracuse but uh Adam Terry apparently a nice guy uh, according to <laughs> the interaction Antonio had. very nice it was very friendly he was like smiling not bothered by having to like meet people he seemed thrilled at being like a semi-celebrity let's say which is a good good for him good for you Adam Terry uh all right that's gonna do it for us this was uh a whirlwind of the last couple of weeks we had a lot of fun with the mock draft a lot of fun during the draft, and uh, I think all three of us really believe, all three of us and the rest of the national media believes that the Ravens have drafted several strong players for their team uh, moving forward, and we are excited to watch them develop. We will be back in two weeks. We're going to have to take a little, little mini vacation uh, after the homework that we've done uh, for these last few episodes, but we will be back to bring you all the news and updates from Baltimore and the NFL for Jay Evans and Tim Horsley. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We'll be back in two weeks. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. 
I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.